I like starting a new series like we did last week with First John. It's good to start new series, but um, the thing we should keep in mind is that it's not really a new series. Uh, it's a continuation of series that started all the way back last September about what is a healthy church. And I can't encourage you enough that if for somehow you've, you've either missed it for different reasons, you just weren't here, or you missed certain Sundays, or you heard it, and you had no idea what I was saying, um, go listen to it again. You can go to our website, wildlifebaptist.org, and you can listen to um, these, these sermons and, and things like that. Um, sometimes I have to listen to them because I can't remember what I said. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, um, but I do encourage you to do that because this is who we want to be. It is the path that we're trying to follow. Um, it is what we believe the Bible teaches, that not just our church should be, but every church should be. What is a healthy church? And so, in some ways, it's just a continuation of that. But in other ways, it is new. It is a different author writing here. It's John, and he's writing uh, to a specific situation. And so, in, there's going to be a different kind of emphasis of talking about the same thing. Um, one of the big, strong things that comes out in John's writing, whether it's the gospel or his letters, is this idea of light. And it reminded me of when uh, I was working on my PhD and we were in Scotland. And so we're there in Scotland, you know, it's a little north. And um, we're, we started in the fall, but as we got closer and closer to winter, oh, what happens in Scotland is what happens up north. The days got shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, daylight was down to, I think, the sun would rise around 7.30 or 8, and it would set somewhere around 3 or 3.30. And, you know, for us, that's the first time we've ever experienced anything like that. And so you can imagine, like, you know, things that you did all the time at 3, going to the store, going to the park, you know, going to, uh, uh, going to school, walking home, going to the gym, all the things that you always did, at three, when it was daylight, it's now dark. And what was amazing about it is for us, we just, we knew we were only there for a little while, so we just kept doing the same things. But what was interesting was the people from St. Andrews, people who live there, because somehow they just, they just adapted. And you would see them sometimes, you'd be walking down the, walking down the, um, street and you could see into their homes because they'd have the lights on, it's really dark. And you just walk by and you see them and, and it's like 3.30 and they're having dinner. Like, um, even though it's dark, it's still 3.30. But they would be having dinner and the kids would be getting ready to go to bed. I told my wife, like, this is genius. We should convince our kids it's time to go to bed at 3.30 or 4. We get another eight hours right before. But, but they just kind of adapted. Why? Because it wasn't going to change. The days were not, the winter days weren't suddenly going to get longer. They just adapted. It's funny because in the summer it was the opposite. Um, we weren't there for the full-on summer, but we were there when it was getting to be towards summer. And the opposite would happen. And it would be like uh, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., and it's bright, like it's 3 p.m. here. But what was, was odd about it was they closed all the shops at 5. And that makes sense when you get dark at 3. 
But when you close your shop at five and it looks like noon, that's really weird. And they close their shop at five, no matter what, they close it at five. And so you're walking down the street and it looks like it's broad daylight and the whole town is shut down. It's like an episode of Twilight Zone or something like, you know, where did all the people go? They all disappeared. It's funny, in the summer they didn't really adapt that much. They just kept the same schedule. But when it got dark, they just adapted. And I thought, like, this is kind of a, like a picture, I think, of what happens, um, has happened in our world. It's happened throughout history, and it's happening today. That, that people just get used to a dark world. Just get used to it. They just trade the scales. Instead of good and evil, it's kind of evil and really evil. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of dark and really dark. It's not, you know, there's, there's, there's a light. It's not there's a good. We, we just get used to it. And it's funny because, you know, we, we've seen that happen in our society in so many different ways about things that, that before it was, a, it was like this is right or wrong, that we don't even talk about what the right option is anymore because it just doesn't even seem to be around. It's just, you know, which one of the wrong options should we choose? One of my professors used to always correct people when they would say things like, um, you know, I, I, I chose the lesser of two evils. And he'd say like, well, why did you choose evil? Right, I mean, because that's saying that there was no good choice. I chose the lesser of two evils. And that's kind of how, again, our world is, and it makes sense. If there is no light, if there is no hope, if there's nothing else than what there is right here, then we just choose the lesser of two evils. We just make do in the dark. We just adapt. And that's what people do. Many people do this. Maybe we even do it as a church. We make the best of a darkened world because we don't really believe there's light. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad because one of the things that the Bible declares is that Jesus is the light. God is light. You are a reflection of his light. People, if people who are supposed to be people of the light think there is no light, what hope does the world have? We just try to make the best of darkness. And what happens is, when people think that all there is is darkness, there's only, there's only two choices. One said is adapt, and the other one is you just give up. We were talking about this um, at the, on Wednesday and Sunday, we do a, kind of a deeper study of these things, of, of what we're talking about on Sunday morning, so I invite you to come to one of those if you can. But, but we were talking about if you've ever been in a cavern or if you've ever been in a situation where they create absolute darkness. And if you were ever in a situation of absolute darkness and you realized there was no hope of, any, of, getting, of having any light ever, well, most of us would simply just give up. Because in absolute darkness, what happens is within, I think, the, the guy would say, like the guide in the cavern would say, within 20 minutes, you cannot tell what's up and down or left and right. You lose all sense of direction. 
And so you could keep trying to go around, but who knows where you're going to go. You could think you're going up, and you're actually going down. You could think, oh, it was a left to the door. And you think you're going left, but you could be going right. You don't know. You lose that. And so some of us would just do the sensible thing. Well, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. Just give up. So a lot of people have decided that. They just sit. They've just given up. Oh, it doesn't always look like they give up. They keep going through the motions. They keep living life. They keep showing up for their job, showing up for work. They, they keep doing the things they have to do to take care of their family. They do those things, but they've given up that there's any light. It's just making the most of a dark world. Well, this isn't a new thing. It's been going on as long as there's been sinful human beings in the world. And John is helping this church, this church that, you know, it's like we said, it's the third generation of Christians, and John is the last of the first generation. And he's revered as a leader. They know he's someone who walked with Jesus, not someone who heard from someone who walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And, and he's trying to help them because these, these false teachers are coming in. And they're, they're trying to give uh, this false hope. They're trying to present a different truth. And John is trying to help them distinguish. He's trying to help them discern. And so this letter is, is written with, with that in mind, and as we talked about the greeting last week, and now we move to the second part and begins in verse 5, where John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light. You know, we, we read that, we go, oh, that's, that's a pretty picture, it's a nice image, and then we kind of move on. It's kind of a dangerous thing. Partly because John makes a big deal about the image of light. He does it in the gospel, and he does it in this letter. God is light. In fact, John later on will use a similar phrasing, but he won't say God is light. He'll say God is love. And what I think John is doing is he's actually connecting these two ideas, this idea of light and this idea of love. But the thing we need to understand is that he's creating a contrast. By using light and dark, he's creating this contrast. He's saying there is either light or there is not light, and there is darkness. There's no like, like middle area where it's kind of light, kind of dark. It's light or it's dark. When it comes to God's light, there is light and there is darkness. And it, of course, for us, that's difficult because we live in modern times. In modern times, we're hardly ever in darkness. 
Even if you go up to the mountains and, and other places, you can still get the light pollution from, from you know, the city. So we rarely see that. The only time I really saw like credible darkness was when we were in, in Haiti. And there's no electric lights, nothing out that runs all day. It's everything's running off generators and stuff. So when it was nighttime, it was dark. And in that picture, when you know, one of my things was, because I'm weird, is every time we went to Haiti, I had to find the most powerful flashlight I could find. And I would buy it and I would take it there. Because I wanted to see how much that could do in a, in a Haitian night. And so, you know, it's dark. There's no way we Americans are going to make it home by walking. We're all going to fall off, get lost, fall down, get hurt. So I turn on the light, and boom, 100 yards. Amazing. To totally different experience from dark to light. We don't really see that as much because, again, you know, nighttime for us, we just turn on lights. Turn on our headlights, there's street lights. Lights are everywhere. But John is making this contrast. He's saying, there's light and there's dark. You cannot hang out in the middle. And I think the, one of the modern American compromises to Christianity is to think we can hang out in the middle. We can be close enough to the light that when we need God, when we need Jesus, oh, we're there. When, when he's saying things we want to hear and he's saying things that we want to do, we're right there. But we're not so crazy to go fully in because if we go fully in, he might ask us to do things we don't want to do. He might ask us to change in ways we don't want to change. He might ask us to deal with feelings we don't want to deal with that we've suppressed real nicely and no one knows they're there. He might ask us to sing songs we don't like to sing. He might ask us to sit in pews we don't want to sit in. He might ask us to use our time differently from what we So we don't ever want to be all in the light. We always want to kind of hang out here, hedge our bets a bit. You know, because darkness is fun. The, most of my friends are in the dark. I kind of want to be close to them. John says no. He says when you move from the light, you are in darkness. There is no middle ground. And so many people, and for some of you, it is not your fault. Well, it's your fault now. But it wasn't your fault until you heard this. Because that's the Christianity you were sold. Maybe it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. You were sold a Christianity that said, come to Christ, get that part of your life okay, but just keep doing everything else the way you do it, and, you know, be a good person. Nice. Fill up that Jesus compartment, that religion compartment with Christianity, and then everything else you can keep doing. It can be in the dark, it can be in the light, it doesn't matter. That's the Christianity you were sold. It's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us you are in the light or you are in the darkness. You cannot hang out in the middle. So when you think about this, 
when you think that John ties this light-dark imagery to love and hate, it's the same thing. And John's going to explain this. You're going to have to come back two months from now to hear it. But John's going to explain this. But I'm just going to introduce to you the concept. You either love or you hate. There is no middle ground. You cannot say, I don't hate them and I don't love them. Not if you're a Christian. If you say you don't love someone, you are saying, according to what John is saying, that you hate them. If you say, I don't wish them any ill will, you are saying that you hate them. There is no safe middle ground. You love or you hate. And again, it's this, it's this Christianity we've been sold. We've been sold this Christianity that says, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I got it. I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm going to be basically a good person. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, love certain people. But there's other people I, 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 I don't want to deal with. Oh, I don't hate them. I don't hate all the homeless people, but I don't love them either. I don't hate all those people from other countries who, who talk different and act different. I don't hate people who are on the different political spectrum from me and they have different positions. I don't hate them. I don't hate people who are achieving more or people who don't seem to be trying. I don't hate them. I don't love them either. John takes away that safe ground. He's, he's, he's using this idea that will be kind of articulated about 400 years later from John. Augustine will talk about good and evil because he, he, he wanted to understand what the Bible teaches about God, but he also wanted to understand evil. And he goes, God didn't create evil. And the Bible tells us everything God created was good. And so Augustine said, when he really thought about it, he goes, what is evil? Evil is the absence of good. What is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. What is hatred? Hatred is the absence of love. And so, when we come to, to John saying things like, God is light and in him is no darkness at all, he's telling you, there is no middle ground. You're either with God or you're against him. You're in the light or you're in the dark. There is no middle ground. And you see, that means our words and even our thoughts, they are meaningless. They are meaningless if they aren't backed up by God's love in our life being lived out. You see, you can say, I believe in Jesus. You can say, I have eternal life. You can say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. You can say all of these things. You can say the Bible is God's Word. But remember, the title for this, this whole series is, is The Truth We Live. And the truth you live 
is the truth you actually believe. And of course, you know, just keep in mind, there's, there's a lot of grace in that. If you're a new believer or if you're just only now getting kind of serious about your faith, you're, you're not going to do it right all the time. Your right, right actions aren't always going to result from right beliefs. But you're moving in that direction. It's people who've made a disconnect. People who can say God is light, God is love. But I'm going to live a different way. I'm going to do things contrary. It's not enough just to say it. You see, what John is trying to help this first century church deal with is these people coming in saying things that sound really good. But he's saying, well, first of all, what they're saying is, is not true. Even though they want to claim a lot of truth. But he's also saying, look at how they live. Do their lives reflect the truth that you know? Well, he then talks about walking in darkness and walking in the light. And what does that mean? Well, if you go to verse 6, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He's making the same point. That walking in the light, saying I walk in the light, saying light rather than darkness means that I'm doing all I can to know God's truth and to live God's truth. And I'm trusting that God's Holy Spirit is going to meet me in that process and help me transform into becoming more like Jesus. But I'm doing all I can in the light. It's one of the things that it's, it's, it's always been a problem in the church. And it shows up in two different ways. Um, one way it shows up where people just, they just want to just take certain parts of the Bible that they don't want to deal with and just kind of ignore it or push it on the side or even reject it and cut it out. But they don't want to really understand what truth might be there. And then it shows up in another way, which I think is more common among Christians. It's, I don't really want to study it. I just want to um, look at it and, and try to figure out how it, what it means to me and how I'm going to apply it to my life. Or like a more even, even shorter process is, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit tell me what it means. I'm not going to study it. It's kind of dangerous. If we're going to walk according to God's truth, we need to know God's truth. And what we believe is God's truth is there in the Bible, which means we need to be students of his word. It's this whole idea that a healthy church is a community of disciples. I have no problem if we just, Sunday morning, it just became a huge, like, you know, even debate, whatever, discussion, as long as we're arguing about the Bible. As long as it's because people have, have studied the Bible and they've, and they've, they've not just 
thought about what it means to them, but they've really tried to wrestle with what the Bible is saying. And maybe they've come to different conclusions, and now they're having this really healthy discussion, healthy debate. But unfortunately, what often happens is that when people engage in these kind of things, it doesn't come from being disciples. It comes from things they've heard, what other people have said, or it comes from their own personal interpretation of Scripture. That's not healthy. We're to be disciples of the Word. We're to be a community of disciples, working together to seek God's truth and to live God's truth. I can almost guarantee you, every one of you has a part of the Bible that if you've really studied the Bible, there's a part of the Bible you, you, you don't want to deal with. And what you're really saying is you don't want that part of the Bible to really deal with you. You want to stay away from it. Because it's going to hit on those things that you have adapted to darkness. And you don't want to trust that if you let go of those things, that Jesus will catch you and that he will free you from those things and he will help you, help you find joy and peace and love and purpose far beyond what you think is possible. See, when we live in darkness, we have a limited vision, not just of what we can be, but what the world can be. We have a limited vision of what God is doing. Because if you were in darkness, if I was in a cave and it was absolutely dark, I would pretty much be focused on one thing. Somebody get me out of here. If I could feel in my pockets, I'd be looking for one thing, some little bit of light. I wouldn't be thinking about what's going on. There could be a world war going on outside that cave and I wouldn't care. All I want to do is get out of the cave. We have to understand, sometimes we've been imprisoned through different things. Insufficient teaching, wrong teaching, our own personal things that we, we've built our own prisons. And those are the worst prisons. We build them. We hold the key. We're the warden. We're the prisoner. We're the guards. It's impenetrable. Walking in the light says, God, your truth, your light can shine in every place of my life. And you have permission to do whatever you need to do. Whatever you need to do. That's what surrender means. That's what lordship of Jesus Christ means. Well, some people go, oh, I get it. How do I know? How do I know I'm in the light? Well, John's going to unpack that through this letter. He's going to unpack it. What we do know is that if we will be truth seekers, and if we will look in God's word and seek out his truth in his word, that he promises to meet us there. You see, we want to know God's truth so that we can live God's truth better. 
We want to live the best that we can, which means we live according to God's truth. Even when it's awkward, even when it goes against what our friends say, even when it goes against what the world says seems to be right, are we willing to confront God's truth that way and allow God's truth to confront us? He then uses this word, this word that says koinonia. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him, and then later on he says, we have fellowship with one another. And if you remember last week, he talked about us not just having fellowship with one another, but having fellowship with God and with Jesus. And so if we take all of that together, we have to ask ourselves, what is fellowship? I asked the question on Wednesday night, what is fellowship? And I promised them I would try to answer it this morning. Fellowship, because things we call fellowship are not really fellowship. You know, we sometimes think a fellowship is us getting together, having dinner, and having good conversation. That can be fellowship, but it's not necessarily fellowship. Sometimes we think fellowship might be a picnic or, or some other gathering that we have, or even what's happening here. Some people say this is fellowship, and it's not necessarily fellowship. What is fellowship? True fellowship is active, growing love lived out in the community of faith. Get the words. Active, not passive. A lot of us fool ourselves into thinking we have God's love because we don't hate people, but we don't actually go out of our way to help people. We don't go out of our way to love them. It's not an active love, it's a very passive love. True fellowship is active. It moves towards the other person. There's also the sense that, that it's growing. That as, as, as we spend more time together, as we, as we are a community together, as we love one another, that that love develops and grows. And I know why we don't do this. I know why we don't do it. We don't do it because, first of all, it kind of goes against our culture. It's that American culture blended with the Hawaii culture, and it's deadly. It's deadly to community. It's deadly to fellowship. It's deadly to koinonia. It's that, that sense of, this is my private life. So, you know, community is more like all of us standing like this, and we kind of go like this, and maybe we bump into one another once in a while, but that's it. That's the picture. We got to have our space. Americans have a personal space issue that the rest of the world doesn't share. If we were in Haiti, I could fit 2,000 people here, and the Haitians would be perfectly comfortable with us. If we have we usually have about 100 something on a Sunday morning. If we had 250, we would be like, oh, bro, crowded. Oh, oh, I don't like go to church. I could smell the person next to me, right? I mean, we have personal space issues. But the other issue we have is we are private people. Our society has told us being independent and being an individual is the highest way you can live. 
And God's word says, no, it is not the highest way. The highest way you can live is to be part of a healthy church, part of a healthy community of disciples. That's the highest way to live. But we don't believe it. And the proof that we don't believe it is how we live every single day where we do not want anybody. We live like this. God says live like this. You guys know I'm not a hugger, so you know I'm not being literal here. I'm not saying come up and hug me and say that's koinonia. But I am saying live your life where you invite other people in and you reach out to other people. We have to get over that. We can all be great Christians like this, but we will never be a healthy church. I don't know what we'll be. We'll be like so many other churches, big and small. I've been in churches where there's thousands. I've been in churches where there's less than 50. And as long as the members are like this, it's never healthy. I went to a church on the mainland. There's about five or 600 people and uh, about 800 at the time. Went to this homeless ministry and the guy who's the leader was my friend and he told me like, hey, um, had two groups from your church come last week. I had to introduce them to each other. That was sad. Really sad. Oh, but there's 800 people. How could they possibly know one another? How could they possibly not know one another if they are one body in Christ? How could they possibly not love one another and want to get to know one another if they're not, if they are one body in Christ? How could it not be? Fellowship, love lived out. I don't know all that it looks like. I don't know what it's going to look like when it happens at Wildlife Baptist Church. I think it already does happen at Wildlife Baptist Church. It's just, is it really the dominant characteristic of who we are? See, light, God has this crazy plan. Instead of shining light directly on the rest of the world, He says, no, I'm going to shine light on my people. And then the light's going to go out to the world. What people need to see, what the world, the darkened world needs to see, they need to see the light. And one of the primary ways they see the light is how we live and love each other. How we live out truth together. Love. God's love. His supernatural love that we cannot do on our own needs to be evident and it needs to be abundant. And we should settle for nothing less. Nothing less. The truth we live. Think about the truth you say you believe and ask yourself, do I live that truth? Ask yourself, do I need to know more of that truth by, by being in God's word more? Bible says God is light, says God is love, says God is holy. Are we light? Are we love? Are we holy?